Good day to you uh, on the menu for this lovely, beautiful episode of NHL Fans from the Far. We have the final dash for the Stanley Cup playoffs, a little bit about Conor McDavid, uh, Sagan's return, we have Kane's contracts, we have Ryan Miller retiring, we have a bit about the Kraken, the Women's World Hockey Champ, and unfortunately, we do have to discuss one of the league's most polarising players. I feel like we've had this conversation before. Hmm. Yes, Tom Wilson also, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look it, makes a little mention. Play some music. Let's talk hockey. Just uh, me, Claire, and Jolan this week, uh, two moaning, miserable, pessimistic uh, Toronto Maple Leafs fans. Um, another week whinging. No, we're just kidding, really, actually. Uh, on, the, on the menu today, we don't even have the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I always like to uh, throw a bit of a bet. Set your timers now. Let's see how long Jolan Kent Walker can go until he talks about the Toronto Maple Leafs. How are you, Jolan? Well, I was, uh, you know, disappointed to see the Maple Leafs lose to the Canadians in overtime <laughs> last night. But, um, but you know, in terms of the season, it's, you know, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Sorry, yeah. how was that? Was that about, what, three seconds before I, I actually said the word think, Maple Leafs? Don't even, but you've got it out the way, so that's, <laughs> that's fine. Okay. okay. Um, Excellent. Now, I'm very good. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm full of COVID vaccine, which is exciting. Uh, got a new new puppy in my life which means that uh, I have very little time to do anything other than just you know scroll twitter is about the only thing I can do because I can do that and make sure that he doesn't chew everything in sight um so yeah but no good looking forward to the playoffs it's uh, it's getting to the point now where as you say a lot of the a lot of the races are locked in now and a lot of the the matchups even you can pretty much predict who's going to be playing who um, so it's now interesting just to see what teams can build up a bit of momentum going into the playoffs um, in a couple of weeks' time. Mm, let, let's just recap them. Um, let's just kind of talk about that. That is obviously the, the hot news, really. Um, so uh, 12 out of 16 spaces are now taken. Uh, the East, all four teams have been decided, although their positions haven't uh, entirely uh, and the NHL have confirmed the fact that the Stanley Cup players are going to start a little bit later for the North Division. Um, I mean, just kind of like looking at how many games uh, there are left, you know, Florida and Detroit have only got two games left of their regular season. I mean, put Vancouver aside, they've they've only played 46 or so 10 games there. Um, whereas you've got Colorado, Edmonton, St. Louis Blues, Calgary Flames, LA Kings have all got six games left. I mean, I think it's fair to say that uh, we've still got these um, dashes, the final dashes in the Central West and maybe the North, um, but Central, Nashville and Dallas continues. I mean, the game that we highlighted as one to watch over the weekend, it went to overtime. 
for the Predators. Um, and not a single goal until overtime. It was yeah. nil-nil all the way till overtime. I mean, I haven't really mentioned it to, to our resident Stars fan, Matt, very much because I felt... <laughs> Like it was a it was a rough week for them with with losing their game in hand with Tampa and then losing that game in overtime. I mean they're not out of it yet, but another loss last night, which, albeit again, I think it was in overtime again. They've lost it's something like they've got well yeah they've got fourteen overtime losses the Dallas Stars this year, which is just absolutely insane when you look at if they could have just converted a couple of those into wins then they would easily be in fourth spot ahead of Nashville. As it stands, they are four points behind Nashville and they've got a game in hand, but tough games coming up for them against uh, Tampa and Florida. And it's just a really tough division for them. And even with the kind of great moment of Tyler Sagan returning the other night and scoring on his first game back after a horrific long break with injury, just seems like it might be a step too far for this Dallas team who have who've had to deal with so much adversity this year. One of the um, I don't really know too much about Nashville Predators. I mean, I'm intrigued to to learn yeah. more about them. You know, and, and if they do go through to the playoffs, then I will look out for them. And someone, I think it was highlighted in an Athletic article, um, uh, the goalie. Um, I don't know how you say his name. Juice Saros. You see, Saros. You see, Saros. Saros. There we yeah. go. I mean, I it, someone someone highlighted how he's really a pinnacle part of the reason that the Preds are still in the running. Um, and and actually, I read a tweet from somebody that said since Nashville turned its season round uh, in the middle of March, uh, he has a nine four five save percentage in twenty starts. No other goalie is above nine two three in the same span. Um, so. You know, one one to look out for, another one to kind of scribble on your notepad and go hit elite prospects and Google who the heck he is. They were such an interesting team, Nashville, this year because they were uh, in the run into the trade deadline. They were kind of the early favourite to be the big sellers, and supposedly they were kind of. We've talked about it on this podcast before, but they were you know shopping basically anybody who wasn't kind of like Pecorine, who they kind of were going to see out in Dallas, uh, in Nashville, sorry, and a few other kind of big names. But other than that, they were kind of open to any offers and it looked like maybe not a rebuild, but they certainly were looking to do a bit of a, a, a retool in, in Nashville. And then they go on this great run, as you say, Saros goes on a fantastic heater in goal and, and suddenly everything changes and okay, they, you know, they probably are just going to scrape in ahead of Dallas, you would think, looking at the standings as, as they are. But they're going to be an interesting team, a kind of outsider team, which, which kind of takes you back to that year that they had that run to the Stanley Cup final a few years back. And, and they came in as the kind of almost last one in and then went on this incredible run all the way through to the Stanley Cup and with this just real underdog story. Um, that made it all the way to, I think, against Pittsburgh, uh, if I remember rightly, and lost in the in the Stanley Cup final. But ever since then, they've kind of struggled really with the expectation. So I just wonder whether coming in as the underdogs that they are inevitably going to be again in the Stanley Cup playoffs is uh, is going to do well for them this time round. Tell me about um, Tyler Sagan and his injury. There's um, 
again, you know, we mention it every week on this podcast. I think this is a second mention already on this podcast, but um, The Athletic have got a fantastic article on Tyler Sagan's return and also uh, just documenting his injury. And I mean, he's been out all season. Um, and what I think is what hit me when I read the article was all about how how we which obviously injury is part of sport. And if you play at a kind of an elite level like these guys do, then there are probably, you can count on one hand, the number of players who are actually playing 100% healthy, certainly by this time of the season. Um, but I think this just this, this article just kind of spelled out exactly what it is like for these athletes to come back. And as fans, it's very easy to, to sit there and, you know, Tyler Sagan out for the season or, or out until the postseason. And he's kind of out of out of your mind as a as a fan because obviously he's not playing for your team and, and he's just, you know, he's on the sidelines, he's on long-term IR and then, you know, he'll come back at some point. But what we then don't appreciate is, you know, this is not a holiday. This is not sitting up with your leg in a cast waiting for it to heal. The work and effort and kind of um, setbacks that he, these guys have to deal with. I mean, he was kind of dealing with a, not a routine hip injury, but a hip injury that required surgery. And and the article detailed about how a lot of a lot of NHL players have this hip surgery and stuff. But then, you know, the complications that followed that with issues with his knee, and he then kind of you know talks about how essentially you know back in back in September he was sorry back in December he's you know he's struggling to walk and you know he's in a wheelchair post the op and you know he's then having to relearn how to skate. And there's this, you know, there's this line in the in the piece where, you know, he goes onto the ice for the first time. Um, and, you know, I think it says something like one of his friends text him afterwards saying, you know, you look like a sad puppy out there. Like, because he just he just could not do the things that, you know, he's done all of his life. And I just find it incredible that people can kind of be at those extreme lows. Those athletes can be at these extreme lows and then still build themselves back week to week. And um, they describe about how he, he rehabbed in a, in a kind of an abandoned warehouse in Toronto um, with his trainer every day. And he was kind of in there and he said it was about as far away from the kind of glitz and glamour of the NHL as you can imagine. And, just the story. I mean, go on the athletic and read the full article and it details far more than what I've said, but it does just give you an idea of what it is like to kind of rehab yourself back from those injuries. And then I suppose, you know, the fairy tale ending would be that Dallas would, you know, push on and get to the playoffs, which they still may do. But the next best thing for, for Sagan was the fact he scored on his, uh, on his first game back the other night. And, uh, you know, that story will be, you know, replicated with so many different players across so many different sports. But I think it was just it kind of hit me today reading it, thinking, God, it really, you know, it is such a these athletes put in so much, not just when they're playing hockey, but also when they're recovering from injuries and things like that. Mm, Well, it's absolutely incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, wow. amazing. And, and you just you think of all these injuries, and you think of all these players who you know disappear on IR and 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 struggle, and and then don't look quite right, and then get a kind of hammering from the fans, or even players who you know he again Sagan talks about the fact that he was playing through an injury, you know, in the playoffs, and how he's you know he, he's playing injured in the in the Stanley Cup yeah, final last year, and the the sacrifice these guys or the the kind of the the toll that they put their bodies through is just insane. Um, so great, you know, 
great for uh, or Jeff Merrick has this lovely line on 31 Thoughts, doesn't he? He says he cheers for individuals and, and people, not teams. And so you kind of like root for, for people like that when they're coming back from that adversity. God, you know, the only thing I really know about um, Tyler Sagan is someone made me um, a calendar uh a few years ago printouts and you know where this is going right i do i do yeah and obviously it was just filled with like naked hockey players um for each they do it for charity or something like that i think yeah there's a picture of him on the zamboni isn't there i can't remember what month uh sagan was in my calendar um perhaps it lingered on that month a little bit longer (laughs) (laughs) shall we say it was it was March for several months. Yes, it was. <laughs> so then the other um, the other uh, division, I think that is, and I don't know if it's as a done deal or not. Am I being yeah. harsh here on West on the West? You know, in the West. Sorry, St. Louis Blues have got fifty games played uh, under their belt. They are fifty-five points. Arizona have fifty-three games played. Uh, and on 50 points, I mean, I, I think it, it seems like unless St. Louis Blues lose all of their games and Arizona win all of theirs, it's pretty much looking like the Blues have managed to turn it around because they had a really, really difficult schedule, didn't they? They, they yeah. weren't having a great, I mean, it wasn't looking great for them, but we did always have concerns about whether Arizona would be able to continue playing at the level that they were they were kind of sustaining it and um and whether they just fizzle out and I guess it, it just shows they kind of had a good sprint but maybe they weren't set up with the depth um that St. Louis Blues have and you've got to think like St. Louis uh you know not that long ago a Stanley Cup winning team so you know they're they're a team that and they have I, from what I can see other than um oh what's his name Petrangelo going to Vegas you know they've not had a huge amount of change so you would expect um St. Louis and in the position they're in it looks like they'll you know they will comfortably get into their five points at this time of the season particularly with that many games in hand like you could even just take those three to overtime and that's another three points um so I can't imagine that St. Louis uh, are going to drop below that spot. But I mean, really, uh, Arizona, St. Louis, all they're doing is fighting to lose to Vegas in the first round. <laughs> like Vegas are this kind of like juggernaut, although granted did lose last night to or the night before to Minnesota. Um, they are just this, you know, they're on eight, two and no in their last 10 or an incredible run. You can bear that to somebody like Arizona who are on three, six and one. I mean, if you're fighting for a playoff spot and you're three, six and one, it doesn't look very good for you. St. Louis slightly better six, three and one. So they're kind of the opposite of that. Just thinking, did, um, did Vegas lose to St. Louis blues in their cup run a couple of seasons Uh, ago? Oh, God. I wonder. Well, well, you know, people listening will be like, ah, shouting, typing frantically and tweeting us right now. But I do wonder if there's a little bit of history, whether um, St. Louis Blues went to the final and, you know, knocked Vegas. Maybe that wasn't even possible. I can't remember. I'm having a real mind blank at the moment. It's been a long couple of seasons, let's be honest. It's been a long couple of seasons and the, the bubble tournament and everything like that going into Stanley Cup really threw it out for me so remembering things kind of annually is difficult because (laughs) 20 as with everything I'm sure for anyone 2020 either you remember it in its entirety or it's a year where nothing happened in terms of like you know (laughs) sports or something like that but um so who won the bubble (laughs) who who won the Stanley Cup last year (laughs) 
I tried. <laughs> Hang on. Tampa. 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 Yes, right. right. So it was Tampa, and then it was St. Louis the year before. That was it. Yes. I couldn't remember who won in the in the bubble. So okay. it was Tampa. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vegas are just. They look like they are just on a mission, and I know they're kind of you know they're going for the President's Trophy this year. Um, uh, interesting point on that as well which I saw somebody make I mean, we've talked in the past I think on a on a podcast that Matt Day was on about the President's Trophy last, oh, it was week. last week when we went through all of the different awards wasn't that fun yeah, yeah. Um, we uh, we were talking about the President's Trophy and actually this year quite interestingly it does have a little bit more significance because of the way that the divisions are aligned and the way that they've set it all up essentially if you get to the president's trophy spot you're guaranteed home ice advantage all the way through to the cup final um and who knows what that will bring and it it, it could add extra complexity with the whole canada border thing um and whether those teams are just going to play in america those canadian teams should i say are going to play in america um as a long way before that's decided but um, it's thought it's meant worth mentioning that race between kind of Carolina and Vegas for that top spot um, could be really important because it could mean that you will end up with home ice advantage against a bigger team that you're playing in the, in the later rounds of the playoffs. Mm. So Ryan Miller um, retiring mm. after 18 seasons. I mean, this caught your eye. You wanted to kind of bring this to the table, didn't you? Whilst we're kind of covering things in the West. Yeah, Ryan Miller. Uh, I, the thing that kind of caught me actually about it was uh, I was watching a um, one of those <laughs> one of those little videos you see, and it was just uh, all these players that were lining up. I think it was they were LA Kings players. They were lining up to kind of shake the hand and fist bump um, with uh, the opposition goaltender, which is obviously a bit strange because I thought I hadn't quite caught what was going on and um it turns out that it was because it was ryan miller's last game um in the nhl he'd kind of uh, announced the um the end of his career and you know this guy was is one of those names one of those goaltenders who i'm kind of always been aware of as being around the league and and you kind of expect to see him he's he's been obviously most famously with the buffalo sabers spent time with the st louis blues the vancouver canucks and now has finished his career with the ducks um, he's 40 years old. He played uh, 794 games in the NHL. And uh, I don't know if you can hear the ice cream van in the background, which drives past my house at this time every day, just for a bit of fun. Don't know if Zoom has uh, conked that out or not, but if you can, enjoy this. <laughs> um, and then uh, he won the Vesna Trophy back in 2009 and 10. Um, and he's kind of he won the uh, in the 2010 Winter Olympics for Team USA. He, did really well for them so he's one of these he's one of these players who's just been around a, a very long time and has been a true professional and the reaction he got from the likes of Jonathan Quick from the LA Kings and some of the other veterans from the the Kings was just one that made you realize that this guy has played a big part in the league over his time and um I thought it was interesting on 31 Thoughts they they mentioned about him and they talked about him and Jeff Merrick talked a lot about how he believes he's um, one of the most vocal goaltenders in the league when it comes to things like goaltender safety. And um, there's when there's always kind of uh, there's attempts to kind of um, lighten the padding on the goaltenders or, or bring the padding down on goaltenders to allow more goals and a more exciting game and things like that. Um, and he's always been one of those players who is quite um, adamant that, you know, goalie safety should be number one. And you kind of looked at the reaction that he got 
in his goodbye that made you think actually yeah this is this is somebody who is kind of very well respected across the league um and yeah i mean his run with the us men's hockey team back in 2010 he that was a kind of the thing that kind of propelled his name um across the states and canada as well he had some i think he had a, like a 940 save percentage in that tournament so absolutely huge um kind of career and uh, added a lot to the game and um, so yeah i thought it was just worth mentioning that another veteran decides to uh, hang up his skates at the end of this season yeah especially as we talked a lot about goalies haven't we and i mean not that i'm saying like you know how like football managers in the premier league seem to go in and out and in yep. and out it's not quite the same with goalies but there seems to kind of be quite a lot of movement and quite a lot of change. You see yeah. like the stalwarts in there, like Carey Price, for instance. Um, but I think that's quite a good tenure for a goalie, isn't it? Definitely worth um, mentioning. Yeah, I don't. Someone else will know this, and feel free to tweet us at NHL fans from afar if uh, if you can enlighten us. Um, but I, I don't know how goaltenders' games played matches up to players. Like you would imagine, it would be less because well, they will play fewer games you know not many goals well hardly any goals and if any are going to play a full 82 game season are they they're gonna you know they'll have nights off because of back-to-backs and things like that so you would imagine you know you look at a 700 or nearly 800 games in the nhl for a goaltender now i would imagine that equates to something like over a thousand games in the nhl for a for a skater but i could be wrong could be very wrong with that um, but let us know if um yeah if you uh, if you know the answer to that if you're one of a, a stats geek who can tell me well actually goaltenders play 25 percent more than most out skaters out skaters that's not a word skaters they're called <laughs> Fielders, skaters. by the way i just i just checked out was whilst um you were talking that um sharks I mean, you weren't listening to my every word claire <laughs> i was i was listening i'm i'm, I'm a While woman you i can multitask on, i was googling actually what i'm gonna have tea <laughs> <laughs> i can multitask thank you <laughs> Sharks knocked Vegas out in 2019 in the first round. Do you remember that year? All those, the the kind of solid first picks went out in the first round. And Dallas knocked Vegas out in the 2020 conference finals. So there hasn't been history between St. Louis Blues and Vegas, as we thought. So maybe this is the start of one. Um, Let's just, before we go to the the East, um, because of things that have happened over there, uh, which we'll get into north okay um so a couple of things worth noting here um so we've we've got montreal and um winnipeg uh 51 games played both with 57 points apiece i do not know what is going on at the jets why are they tanking it's on a <laughs> yeah, massive, they don't realize it's too late for that <laughs> massive losing streak not that i think it will really have an impact seven games. who do we know yeah seven game losing streak at this point in the season i mean yeah so that's something calgary sit in fifth place at the moment they've they've played 50 games um and they have 47 points so be quite a stretch i think for yeah. them to really and, make it but and i know i know i joked about it at the start but montreal did pick up a, a big win in toronto last night albeit in overtime so that got them another two points and you know, Toronto and Montreal play pretty much all week. Um, and obviously the Leafs have not got much to play for. So I w- you would imagine that Montreal will run them hard this week and could pick up some points in that. Um, and 
yeah, as you said, Calgary, I mean, they're 6-4-0 in their last 10. They're on a, well, a losing streak of one. That's not really a losing streak, is it? But um, it, it looks like it would be a real struggle for them. They've got six games left, but it, 10 points over six games with a team like Montreal, who've got games against some, you know, relative, not easy opponents, but opponents they should be able to get points from. Um, but yeah, Winnipeg, are, I, I mean... I just, uh, even in a week, I think if we go back to last week in the podcast, we were talking about, or the week before maybe, when Montreal were looking like they might, you know, actually even succumb to a run by the Canucks or a run by the Flames or something like that. And and now we didn't, well, we didn't really talk about Winnipeg at all because we were pretty much sure they were going to finish second. You know, they might push Toronto for first. Um, but yeah, something's not good in the, in Jets land at the moment. And uh I know, I know form is only so much towards the end of the regular season, particularly when you're pretty much secured in a playoff spot. But I don't think I'd want to be going into the playoffs on a seven-game losing streak at the moment. So they will probably want to pick up a couple of games um, winning before they finish. I think if I was a Flames fan right now, I'd be really, really disappointed yeah. in my team. I think that yeah. there could be some big changes coming up because, yeah. you know, like... They, the, the big veteran guys, as we said before, just didn't really step up to the mark. And they should have, some would have say that, you know, they should have been getting into that top four, like, fairly easily. Like, they, they should have got the job done, but various things, injuries, goalies, you know, whatever. I mean, the, the comeuppance is, but this week, Calgary was chosen as the host of the 2023 World Junior Figure Skating Championships. Oh, good. Well, that'll make people in Calgary feel better. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think... Yeah, um, there's some... You're right about them. I mean, there's some big names that could tumble um, this year. And in the off-season, I would imagine this is going to be a big... You know, Daryl Sutter with the Flames is, is going to want to change the makeup of that team if he's going to be the coach going forward long term. So you would imagine, I mean, they've got players like Mark Strum, who's who's now locked up until 2025, 26. You've got Michael Backland until 2023, 24. Uh, beyond that, Lindholm is another one who's kind of 23, 24. But you do wonder whether they'll try and make some some moves I mean can you imagine like somebody like Johnny Goudreau I know he's been you know disappointing in the last few years but with a cap hit of 6.75 million on a on a team who could trade for him bring him in on the left wing be fascinating to see him in a different outfit and see whether he could progress and same with Sean Monaghan as well another one uh, you know he's got no uh, move clause so yeah you're right it's going to be an interesting offseason for Calgary and I think summing it up as disappointed I think would be a fair assessment to how Flames fans would be feeling right now let's let's switch uh, or move the pendulum to the opposite side cue lots of sound effects of very cheery happy people in Edmonton uh, Tom yeah. who is a fellow Midlander and Oilers fan uh, tweeted to say isn't it exciting in capital letters I'm bristling with overconfidence I feel we have momentum behind us the season began slowly but we've improved consistently we've an offense that you feel can always pluck something out of thin air I think we could go far hashtag famous last words I mean a brilliant article came out this week as well um, where Wayne Gretzky was talking about um, Connor McDavid who really has just had a 
brilliant season. I mean, they're talking about whether he's going to get 100 points, even, you know, as it's a shortened season, 100 points is a decent stint, isn't it? Um, And the fact that Conor McDavid is back in the playoffs, you know, he's only ever qualified, uh, or his team's only ever qualified once in the five seasons that he's played with the Oilers. He's only ever played 13 games 13 playoff games. I mean, he scored five goals in the playoffs, I think. That's it. So what could this guy do? I mean, it was really disappointing, wasn't it? Because the bubble was in Edmonton last year. And they kind of, it was like, I mean, they kind of say on on elite prospects that he played in the playoffs, but it wasn't, was it? It was like the playoff qualifiers, like to qualify to get in the playoffs. So it's not really the playoffs, was it? And the fact that they must have been so disappointed because Edmonton were like the host of one of these bubbles and they didn't get into the official playoff race. I mean, we know that Edmonton Oilers fans are deeply, deeply loyal and emotional. I mean, there must be like... There must have been some parties going on, some rather safe and um, virtual parties perhaps going on in Edmonton in the last week. Well, I just I just remember last year where we were talking about the bubble and it was all announced and, and we were saying uh, there was a lot of kind of talk about whether having, uh, you know, for the Leafs and the Oilers, whether having these bubbles in their home ice arenas uh, would be an advantage to them and whether this would be you know is this fair really to have these two Canadian teams host these bubble tournaments and to have those players even if they are going to have to stay in the hotels even if they just live down the road and then both of them got knocked out in the playing <laughs> so I mean obviously that meant absolutely nothing um, and I suppose with without fans being there then it doesn't really you know hugely impact um, how they're playing. I think the other guy who's worth mentioning right now is um, is Mike Smith on the Edmonton Oilers as well. The guy I think is about forty one or something like that, um, and he was a real kind of not. I suppose he I suppose he is a surprise, but because going into this season, the Edmonton Oilers goaltending was so up in the air as to who it was going to be and, and how it was going to work. They had Miko Koskinen signed for a long time and and a number that's a little bit potentially higher than you'd want it to to be at 4.5 but then you know you've got Mike Smith there as oh no he's 39 sorry Mike um he's on 1.5 and he's had a bit of a kind of he's a funny goaltender in terms of his seasons like some seasons are great some seasons are not so good but he has absolutely commanded that crease in the Oilers and really pushed Koskinen down to to play in the backup role and, you know, I've seen various articles this week where they're talking about him as a Vesna candidate this year, particularly if the Oilers go on a real good run. Um, and he is obviously goaltending is a huge part of the playoffs. And if he brings his A game, then you have got the potential of, you know, two of the most on form best goaltenders in Connor Hellebuck, who you would never want to bet against, and uh, Mike Smith. But the firepower in that in that game against it, what what likely looks like is going to be the Oilers and the Jets in the first round of the playoffs. Um, it's going to be quite an exciting matchup to watch. Head to head, um, the Oilers are ahead seven two, so they've won seven games, um, and I think they've still got a couple left. But yeah, I I, I wouldn't want to. I mean, it's hard to bet against the Oilers, and you can imagine the 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 pure desire and. Um, just we have got to go on a run here in Edmonton kind of attitude that they are going to have. Um, and, 
you know, I would not want to be facing the likes of McDavid and Dreisaitl with a goaltender like Mike Smith on the form that he's in um, because they've tightened up defensively as well. And McDavid's going for his, uh, well, he's trying to get to 100 points. <laughs> that's his That's his goal, um, which, you know, is if he achieves that, the guy's going to feel invincible. He probably already does feel invincible, but I he don't will know. feel invincible. I, I, think, I think the 100 points is like... That's a nice to have, but for him, I think it's more important that he it, it's taking the team deeper into the playoffs. That that has to be oh. the focus. The hundred points is like the 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 Brucey bonus, isn't it? Without a shadow of a doubt. What I was more meaning was that you know he's going to be dialed in come that first game of the playoffs because he will inevitably be pushing himself to try and get to that hundred points mark, and he'll probably achieve it. And then what will happen is the next game is well. Game one of the playoffs, let's go. Whereas, you know, some players around this time of the year on teams who are guaranteed a playoff spot, you know, why would you go 110% and keep that momentum going? You wouldn't. So uh, I would be very excited if I was a, an Oilers fan. I think, and this is this is proper kind of, you know, ridiculous thinking here, but should never think beyond the first round. However, an Oilers Maple Leafs second round would be so good to watch. You know, it's long been talked about the whole McDavid-Matthews matchup. We have seen it a little bit in the regular season, but to see that in a playoff with those two fan bases, oh boy, that would, <laughs> that would be Ooh. fun. That would be fun. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just willing that to happen just because it will be uh, great fun to watch. <laughs> so, um Let's let's move over to the east then. So yeah, you know the the four places have been set, but you know obviously came with heartache. You know New York Blues, I put here New York um, <laughs> Islanders in New and York New York Blues. Rangers oh, out. You. you know, like I just read. So you meant out there was some like weird expansion franchise between the St. Louis Blues and the New York Rangers, like they were merging teams. <laughs> no, like they're breeding them together. No, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm just reading the article that came out not that long ago on the NHL website where it was talking about what went wrong for the Rangers, the fact that they had a really poor start to the season. Yeah. Uh, they had some key players who missed um, the start of the season as well because of COVID. Uh, the fact that they were not able to handle in-game adversity when they gave up goals and then they had to play from behind. I mean, they did highlight the fact that they've got Lafrenia, uh, they've got Capo Caco, and the fact that obviously they've got nine, that is that is correct, nine draft picks for 2021. Um, so, you know, it, it's not all kind of... I, I can't see how people would be like, we gave it everything and we lost it, I guess it would have been a bonus for them to get to the playoffs because they kind of had prepped themselves to go on this kind of rebuild and, and almost like kind of, I guess, re reset themselves after the, um, the Lungfist kind of era of, of the Rangers. What do you think? Yeah. And goaltending obviously was always going to be a, a question mark this year for the New York Rangers. I mean, I kind of, I struggle a little bit to to feel that sorry for them because while obviously they'd like to you know they'd like to have got into the playoffs and stuff like that they they also are a team on the up like they're a team who went through a massive rebuild not that long ago and have as you say got some very good picks and some very good players from those picks and 
I guess it's the fact that they added players like Panarin and, you know, as Banajad has been the kind of um, the player that he's been and Chris Kreider coming in and players like that, I guess, mean that you um, accelerate your expectations a little bit because the likes of likes of Capo Caco, what's he in his like, what, second season or something like that? And Lafreniere and players, you know, you're not expecting them to peak for, for a fair bit yet. Um, but they've had a lot of off ice issues as well this year. The Rangers, it's not been an ideal year for them. You think of the whole Tony D'Angelo stuff that went on earlier on in the year. You've got um, the Panarin stuff in Russia was absolutely crazy. The stuff that went on there. Um, and so they've had a lot of struggles off the ice. Um, Adam Fox has had an incredible year um, and has really kind of pushed on and uh, marshaled their D. And... I, I just think with their goaltending, which has been, you know, up and down to say the least, um, you would imagine, though, both young goaltenders, Shosturkin and um, Gorgiev, both young, both got time to kind of get into that role. And filling a void like Lundqvist is always going to be difficult. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they're disappointed. And it's very easy for me to speak on behalf of another fan base, but I, things are things are bright for the Rangers. And you would imagine that, you know, uh, give everybody another year, a full training camp and a bit more of a normal summer, we all hope ahead, then they, you know, they they should be firing strong going into that second uh, or sort of going into next year. I think it it probably was just more the way that Islanders got that spot in the playoffs. So over the weekend on Saturday, um, Islanders played Rangers and they shut them out. And that was what secured Islanders' birth in the playoffs. I mean, that's pretty heartbreaking. But um, I guess... They've done the, the two twice as well, two times in a row, 3 nil and 4 nil in back-to-back games. Like, that is pretty tough to be shut out twice against your well, rivals you know in a city. It's a competition. Whoever's hungriest, whoever can, you know, yeah. turn, the, turn the brakes around is the one that goes through. And the Islanders are in a very different position to the Rangers. I mean, the Islanders, if the Islanders missed out on the playoffs this year, then that really is bad, bad news for them because they have not got the same kind of window that the Rangers have got. And so you would imagine that, I don't know, if you were in in the Islanders dressing room, you you would really know that we have got to get into this and give ourselves a, a chance of a run of the playoffs here. Um, you know, they were, I think they were some people's kind of favourites to go for the Stanley Cup, the Islanders this year. So, whereas I don't think anyone would have said that about the Rangers, but... But yeah, I'm you know I'm sure it's not a very nice way to go out um, of the playoff race, losing to your uh, your arch rival that um, in that way. Well, let's stick with the Rangers for a moment yeah. because I think the big talking point, uh, which is going to rumble on for a number of days, and maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, it might have even gone a little bit further. But in the last hour, um, we have had an update to say that uh, the player safety have reacted to the fact that on Monday, uh, was it yesterday? I don't even know what day it is. Sunday, Monday, the game against Washington Capitals and New York Rangers. Tom Wilson for the Caps cross-checked Pavel uh, Buchnevich in the back of the head before slamming a helmetless Artemi Panarin to the ice and punching him in the face. Uh, Not only that, but and you'll see the photo for this episode if you're listening on Spotify or or something else. Then Wilson then flexed in the penalty box afterwards before he got sent off the ice. I mean, this has 
been interesting. You know, the fact that um, it, it sounds like Panarin is not going to play in the Rangers' three remaining games. Um, Bucinavich and Panarin were both also given two-minute roughing minors uh, in the post-match. Um, the Rangers coach, David Quinn, said that Tom Wilson had zero respect for the game. And, you know, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because as I said at the start of the episode, Tom Wilson is one of the NHL's most polarising players. On the one hand, he's kind of a bit of a unicorn in that he's like this skilled power forward who isn't afraid of physicality. He's like a blend of new and old school. And then there are the headlines. You know, these are just in the last few days. Time for the NHL to do something about Tom Wilson. NHL must ban Tom Wilson for nearly killing Artemi Panarin. I mean, really strong language. And so the NHL player safety in the last hour has um, shared the fact that he has been fined $5,000, which is the maximum allowable under the CBA for roughing New York Rangers, uh, Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, and actually, I was I was um, looking some of the reaction tweets from reporters and Luke Fox, um, a reporter tweeted, based on Tom Wilson's salary this season, a $5,000 fine would be equivalent to the average full-time Canadian being fined $66. I mean, it, it, it's, it just to kind of set the scene as well about what's gone on recently. So uh, Alex uh, Alexander Ovechkin is injured. Mm. He came back. And now he's out again. And actually, yeah. the Washington Capitals gave um, the A to Tom Wilson, you know, whilst Ovi has been out. So this is this is someone who is classed as like kind of a senior member in the locker room, really, of, of the Capitals. Um, I mean, I actually did tweet, get a tweet from someone who is a Caps fan, uh, Leah, who also does a podcast uh, women who play hockey, where is it? Um, Saucy Rockets. Anyway, I asked for what is a Caps fan thinking right now, right? Because the rest of us, we can all roll into the usual, yeah. um, usual, this guy needs taking off the ice. He's, you know, d- you know, a disaster to the name of hockey. So Leah says, in a nutshell, Tom Wilson was super ragey and what he did was uncalled for and dangerous. It shows that the discipline he's gotten hasn't really had an impact. On the other hand, people's hot takes, i.e. Caps fans should stop being fans, are getting on my nerves a lot. Um, hmm. I mean, it gives, let's, let's just rem- remind ourselves, okay? So in March... He was suspended for the fifth time since 2017. He received seven games for boarding uh, Bruins defenseman Brandon Carlo. And he actually spent the night in hospital because of the injury that Tom Wilson caused. So the... um, I think this is this is not including today, but the, um, he'd be, he has now been suspended for a combined 30 games, pre-season, regular season and playoffs, and has forfeited... $1.2 million uh, in salary during his career. Um, I mean, do you want to dip in? I've, I've done some research about who is Tom Wilson and what do his parents think about him? Uh, but go on, give me, what are your thoughts initially when you watch the video and you've been reading about this? Like, I get that hockey's a physical game and, and there are things that happen on the ice and, you know, you look at things and it's very easy to look at things in slow-mo replay and get kind of angry about it the day after when you haven't even watched the original game, which I haven't. I have only seen the clips of it. Um, 
but the, there is that. And then there is the way that, you know, kind of Tom Wilson is in this, you know, particular instance. And what, what, what really kind of, what frustrates me in a way and must frustrate the, you know, the NHL as well is that, and, and I bet Caps fans as well, because, hey, you you said it, like he, he is a big player for the Caps and they are missing some big players at the moment and they do not want to see that guy going down the tunnel and not coming back for seven games because he's suspended. So my frustration is that you read quotes from Tom Wilson after his last suspension, and this was only in March, this is not exactly a long time ago, and he talks about, he talks a talk about how, well, you know, actually I've really done some thinking and I really need to, and I'm slightly paraphrasing, but, I, you know, I need to be on the ice, essentially. I need to I need to make sure that I'm playing for the Caps and, you know, if that means, you know, dying down or whatever, he kind of goes on and he, he plays the kind of, you know, reform card and he says, I did, you know, I, I, I text Brandon Carlo after the game to check that he was all right and people might not, you know, it, appreciate all of that stuff that goes on and he talks about respect for fellow players and that he doesn't want to see other players getting hurt and all this kind of stuff but then you you look at the kind of the way that he not okay so he manhandles Butchnevich down to the ground we've all seen that um particularly around your own goaltender we see out skaters do this all the time but then kind of just kind of punches the guy three times or so when he's on the floor while he's holding onto his neck and you sit there and you think oh well that's that is too much I mean that is not only is that hitting a guy when he's down that's pinning a guy down by his neck and punching him in the face like no there is no need for that in any game or there's no kind of way for that and then the follow-up okay there's a scrum we see them all the time the violent way that he throws Panarin down to the ground. Okay, he doesn't have a helmet on, but, you know, I don't know why he lost it. I'm guessing he lost it from the punch-up. But just the violent way that he throws Panarin to the ice in the melee. And yeah, you look at it, it was think, uncomfortable, wasn't it, to watch? It was, because you look at it and you think, you're talking inches here and angles where if that goes a little bit further, you know, Panarin could break his neck. Like, and, you know, you're talking about, uh, I remember you read out earlier about, say, could have killed Panarin. Okay, that of course is extreme. However, he's already probably ended his season, but he could have caused him serious, serious damage for for something that's completely pointless. Like this is not a big physical mid-ice hit. This is not a big kind of, you know, a hit gone wrong or anything like that. This is just a guy who obviously sees red and cannot control himself. And after, in the light of day, I'm sure he does feel remorse. I'm sure he does text his players and go, look, really sorry about that. I'm sorry you're in hospital or I'm sorry that I need to break your neck. But ultimately, until he starts doing it on the ice and proving it by going on some runs where he's not in the news for doing this kind of stuff and where he doesn't have suspensions. And then my other frustration with it is you look at that with the NHL and they've obviously just played the rule book and they've said, well, we find him the maximum allowable under the CBA. I mean, five grand is a joke. I don't care whether that is the maximum allowed in the CBA because, you know, as Luke Fox pointed out, that is a parking ticket and that is a parking ticket for not only kind of, punching a guy on the ground three times, then going over to a colleague and throwing him to the, you know, throwing into the ground or a, a, a kind of opposition player in the way that he did. And what incentive is there? I get for some players that five grand, okay, 
you know, maybe that's the the maximum you do. Surely his track record, and I know you cannot throw the book at him every single time he does anything wrong, but that, as the NHL player safety, you've got to look at that and see that is Tom Wilson losing it. That is him with the red mist, and that is him when he's at his most dangerous. And that is the thing that he needs to get rid of because I'm pretty sure that, you know, um, Zabanajad said in his post game, he just says he, he's disgusted. He can't believe that, you know, the guy shows so little respect. And even though it's such a big physical game, there does seem to be this kind of respect that goes through the game of hockey. And, you know, the whole code is talked about and stuff like that. And I don't really understand it, but there is a code that hockey players play under and all this kind of stuff. And, and he just seems to, well, yeah, he, he sucker punches that on a regular basis. And, but the problem is, you know, the the Caps go and play the Rangers again on whenever it is, Wednesday night. Wilson will be on the ice for that. Who's going to hold him accountable? Nobody, because he's the biggest flipping guy out there. Like, nobody can. And uh, the only way to get any kind of retribution against that guy would be to do some kind of dirty hit and something that where he's not expecting it. And then why... Why does anybody want that? Wilson wouldn't want that. Department player safety wouldn't want that. Caps wouldn't want that. So I just, I think it's, again, it's a missed opportunity for the NHL just to say, look, you need to sort your out because, you know, and the guy, the guy obviously needs help. The guy needs time away, whether it's time away from the game or whether he needs something just to kind of work on a way of getting rid of that red mist because, you know, somebody saying somebody's going to get hurt is ridiculous because a plethora of NHL players have already been hurt and hospitalised from it. Um, and now Panarin's just another one added to the list. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's in, it's incredible to watch, isn't it? You're like... Yeah, I mean, yeah I've watched that clip so many life. times and it, it's just not like... I, I appreciate a big hit. You know, I've really enjoyed watching Wayne Simmons on the Leafs this year, kind of, and he's done some stuff that previously I've never seen in my supporting life of the Toronto Maple Leafs a player ever do. And I've seen some things that are on the line and borderline and you kind of wince a little bit. But this is just, as you say, Claire, exactly right. It's uncomfortable to watch because you watch it and you go, mm. But I mean, I also think... In the world of social media, where we only ever watch clips, we don't yeah. watch whole games, you know, we don't see, we don't hear the conversations happening at face-off. We don't see the chirps happening over as they're coming off the ice into the bench. We yeah. and Because uh, we don't get that. And that's part of, like, you know, the situation where, yeah. as fans, not many fans anyway, can go and watch the games at the moment. So... Those little things, I think, when you start to dig a little bit deeper and you become a bit more of a longer-term follower of the game, you start to see that these are kind of... They're not just split opportunistic moments. There's something that's happened along the way. And, and I like to go backwards and think about that rather than just think about things in sound bites or, you know, a social a, a snazzy social media clip. Yep. Um, I mean, I've got to say, I, I did think when he was in the penalty box and he's like flexing his muscles. I don't know who he was doing it at, but I was like, that was brilliant. I actually thought that is true pantomime. Like he he could go and be a Hollywood actor after yeah. his, his NHL career. I mean, I don't know if he was doing it at the coach because the players were already in the box or whether, um, you know, Bucinavich was coming over to the box and he was doing it at him, kind of goading him. I did think that was quite funny. And did I do like that kind of like 
pantomime drama that comes from this sport because they are men with like adrenaline and testosterone and ego like of course they're gonna be like ramped up and they're gonna be like come on, how come how come <laughs> uh, sorry to play the the boring one here but how how can all of those or the majority of those nhl players play at that level and yet they can hold it back you know, we do, you know, there are a few players left in the league now, Tom Wilson being one of them, who will do things that make you kind of think oh, that that is not nice like that. Like, think- that is dangerous. And well- of course, it's a dangerous game, but players players can play at that high competitive level. And of course, lines get crossed every now and again and things happen and accidents, of course, can happen as well. What he does in this scenario, what he has done in previous scenarios as well, is not an accident. And, you know, uh, another layer to the story was the Capitals Twitter account got into a bit of trouble as well because they they tweeted a kind of a meme that I didn't really understand because I didn't I didn't get the reference. However, there was a kind of a supporting of Tom Wilson in his kind of in his fight and they kind of, you know, cited violence and, and promoting violence in their in their original tweet. You know, it was only up there for half an hour before it was taken down. And, you know, they kind of apologized afterwards and they said it wasn't, you know, in line with the co- kind of the Caps code of conduct. But this is a team in a bit of a mess at the moment because also I was reading that Ilya Samsonov, their borderline first choice goaltender, and Kuznetsov were both um, healthy scratched last night because they were late to a team meeting. You had Alexander Ovechkin turning up to play after being injured for like almost the first time in six years and lasting one shift and then going off on the bench. You've got Tom Wilson doing this pointless pointless act of violence against a team who are already out like what is the point and you you kind of look at that team and you think how are the capitals in the position that they are like they went back top of the east last night i think and you think like this team's a mess and yet oh the other thing was tj oshi like 90 minutes before the game dropped out of the game due to personal reasons now you know all of this stuff happening they somehow won that game last night and you sit there and go what an absolute crazy team that is at the moment. Like as a fan, <laughs> you must just be like a roller coaster every time the team rolls up to the ice. I like, mean crazy. It'd, it'd just be hilarious if this is the team that ends up to go and win the Stanley Cup. It was already oh. bad enough watching him win it once. My Wilson. God. <sighs> just you know, you mentioned TJ Oshi. And so in my I kind of like did a who is Tom Wilson? Who are Tom Wilson's parents? What does his mother say (laughs) about his play? She didn't say anything, but the dad did. The dad was like saying how he grew up, you know, as like the middle brother, I think, an older brother and a younger brother. And his brothers used to fight all the time. Um, And his dad was a hockey coach, I think, as well. Uh, TJ Oshie, though, was talking about like what it's like to be on a team with Tom Wilson. And they actually, some of them... Great, I would imagine. Because you're on the same team. <laughs> in practice, some of them do get hit and they get out the way. Um, was what he was saying. But he was he was talking about like actually him as a person and how he knows things like all the little things, like what the what the wives and the kids' names are. You know, um, he knows where like to recommend places for dinner if they've got family over. He's interested in what all the guys are doing. Um, the fact that he's launched like a, um, a 43's Friends um, scheme where he gives tickets um, away to kids 
Um, he donates money every time the Capitals win to like youth organisations. Um, and I so think- stop unnecessarily beating people up on the ice and illegal checking people into hospital so but- that people then start talking about that other good stuff that he does. Like that's the crazy thing. This is all within his own power to turn the narrative around. Yeah, I'm and- not arguing with you. I'm not, yeah, I'm not I know. defending him. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm just kind of, you know, making the point that, you know, this is a guy who obviously is a good guy and he does good things. And I'm sure off the ice and like <laughs> I, I was thinking 100 percent, I would want to be on his team. God, I would not want to be playing. <laughs> yeah, but against listen him. to this. Listen to this. Go on, right. Go on. So, I mean, one of the things that we don't get to see as fans, particularly like if you're a fan in a country where hockey isn't played a lot you, or yeah. you don't play hockey yourself. OK, so you don't always know about the drills the, the practices, the rec games, things like that. So in um, hockey, when he was growing up, um, he was desperate, desperate for when he could start being able to check because obviously there's an age, you know, certain, you yeah. can't do contact before a certain age. Anyway, um, <laughs> his dad was, his dad in an interview was talking about um, when uh, Tom Wilson got to start checking and uh, he talked about this one drill where literally one guy was in the middle, everyone else was around the face-off circle, and each guy would take it in turns to go and hit the guy in the middle. That was a drill. Uh, body checking was introduced in games when he was nine. These days in Canada, it's 13 and 14. Um, so, you know, if that's what he's been doing since nine years old... I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. Why would you send your child to a practice where, hey, you get him to be the one in the middle? Sounds like I, absolute hell. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and there's a lot to be said about hockey culture. And there are things that you look at it and you think this is a funny game. I mean, it's a game that's still kind of, you know, I know fighting's illegal, but fighting is still part of the, you know, a sporting game that isn't boxing or UFC. I mean, it's a it's a funny old sport, and I get that the lines get blurred. And maybe for us, kind of you know, softy Europeans over here who are used to watching Premier League football on a Saturday, where the faintest of touch sends a player flying around to the ground. You know, we're not used to contact sports in the way that they are in North America, and with that kind of upbringing, maybe it's different. But but when you hear when you hear kind of, you know, players in the NHL describing him in the way that they do and, you know, the the zero respect stuff and the way that he needs to act. And, uh, you know, I, I saw, you know, we retweeted it earlier on, you know, Tim and, uh, well, Tim and Friends now, it used to be Tim and Sid was a Sportsnet show over there. And they went for a while of this kind of game, which is, you know, it was a game of how many games will Tom Wilson get as a sp- suspension? And, you know, it, it's just a shame, really, because you, as you say, you know, he's done some great things. He's a Stanley Cup winner. He's a, an incredible player on your team. And most NHL fans would love to have him on their team. But, I, you know, you, you just look at it and you think there's some things that are unnecessary and what some of the things that he does are well in that kind of camp of unnecessary. And it's it's difficult to watch. For me, that it always comes back to is these people are paid millions of dollars, yeah. watched by children yeah, yeah. on TVs and yeah. families, and they are they are role models and yeah. they should behave like them. And I say exactly the same about footballers as well. Anyway, yeah. Well, imagine you know, imagine you you know you have a kid and you know they come home and you're a Caps fan and they say, oh, "I really want a Wilson jersey," and you're like, mm. like. 
Do you? Do you no. really? Do you not want an Ovi jersey? Do you not want a like somebody else? Anybody? But I, I just any I just, other team basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, true. But yeah, it's yeah, he's interesting. He's well loved amongst Capitals fans. But I'm sure they get frustrated as well because you can you imagine if you know if the NHL had decided to go like throw the book at him this time and given him a something like you know a supplementary disciplinary action because of all of the stuff building up you know imagine if they'd given him like 10 games or something like that or, or 15 games something ridiculous to prove a point well then he's missing key playoff time like and i mean if yeah if he was on a if he was on the leafs and he was doing that in a game that's meaningless like to the team he's playing against i'd just be like what is the point like mm. what is the point yeah. and yeah, it's very different. Anyway, should we talk about a, a little bit of a better story um, in the East, which is the Carolina Hurricanes? So they're, they're currently fighting for first place. Uh, sorry, they're over in the Central. Apologies, not in the East. Um, they're fighting for first place. have got it at the moment uh, with two games in hand over the Panthers, who are having an incredible year um, and holding off the Lightning as well. I just thought it was worth mentioning this story about their coach, Rod Brindamore. Um, so... I mean, all things are good in Carolina from all accounts. They're doing really well in their division. They're pushing for the president's trophy. They've had a good couple of years, albeit with some playoff disappointment. And Rob Brindamore has been a huge part of that. Now, um, on headlines on Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada, um, Elliot Friedman talked about that Rob Brindamore, who's widely known, is, is out of contract in this off-season. And um, while there was rumours earlier on in the year that a contract was close to being done and, and there seems to be no issues there in terms of, you know, he wants to be with the team, the team want him, like this is, a, you know, a match made in heaven, very easy contract to sign. And yet it still hasn't been done or it hasn't been announced. So, of course, you know, things rumble on a bit and fans get a little bit worried because, of course, you know, he would be an absolute prized asset in the summer if he was to become a free agent in terms of the coaching market and um, Elliot Freeman reported that actually what the reason why he believes the reason why that um, there's this kind of stalemate a little bit is uh, as much as his own contract is a priority to him an enormous priority and I'm quoting Elliot Freeman here enormous priority for Brindamore is that he wants um basically his coaching staff but not just his coaching staff the the, the coaches but also the training staff and the equipment staff um he wants their contracts sorted out before he signs his because according to Elliot Freeman all of these coaches and equipment staff haven't got contracts for next year and Brindamore has um has made it kind of he, he's made it clear that actually the reason why he's holding out um, according to Elliot Freeman is that he you know, he he really wants that his whole team to be looked after. And in this kind of period of uncertainty, Brindamore is going to be all right. He will be picked up. He will be unemployed, as Jeff Merrick said, as long as he wants to be. Um, but his other uh, coaching staff might not be so fortunate. So just a really interesting story. It'd be interesting to see how it turns out. And of course, even more fascinating if the Hurricanes go on a really good run because his power and uh, yeah, his power in those negotiations is going to ramp up. I mean, I was reading the article where um, Kraken have officially paid their fee, haven't they, yes. to join the NHL? And weirdly, really? I, I, someone had seemed to kind of put a rumour of linking him possibly to Kraken. But I was like, that seems a bit crazy because the Kraken haven't announced a head coach from what I gather. Nope. Um, but Kraken are now able to um, start doing trades ahead of the draft. 
Um, yep. I think that will be an interesting one, maybe one for a future podcast. So they will have the same expansion uh, draft rules that Vegas did a couple of seasons ago or so. Um, so teams now, your NHL team can uh, protect seven forwards, three defensemen and one goalie or eight skaters and a goalie. Um, and then the Kraken have to select one player from each of the teams. So one to watch. Um We'll do a little. We'll do that on a podcast once. We you know, once we've got a uh, maybe when the season's over or, or during the playoffs in a in a down week. Like we'll uh, we'll talk about the expansion draft because it is fascinating. Vegas was the first one I was aware of, and you know, amazing how they they did. But um, but yeah, more on that later on. The only thing I just want to reference, which because I think it was really interesting to hear Cassie Campbell Pascal talk about on Hockey Night in Canada, yes. the fact that the Women's World Hockey Championship was cancelled. Now, she described this as uh, it was the decision of an inexperienced politician. I think it was, uh, I'm not quite sure their, their title, whether it's president of Nova Scotia. Um, and actually, she called for him to apologise to the players. Now, the things that the women's players have had to do to quarantine, to be in their bubble, to A, train, let alone travel, and then to get to play this. And it was cancelled within days. In fact, some players were queuing up in airports to fly there, having been through all of this, you know, really restricted their lives in the last few uh, months. Um, And then it got pulled. And even the chief medical officer had said, you know, we looked at the risk, we think there's minimal risk of these, you know, players, uh, the way the setup is, I think I'm all right with it. And he still pulled it. Um, and they're saying they're, they're rescheduling it, hopefully for late August, but they don't know if it's going to be back in Nova Scotia. I mean, I think it's embarrassing um, and really interesting to hear like some reaction, you know, like Hillary Knight, the American forward, the USA hockey absolute legend. And she um, called it, you know, this last minute move. It's just another reminder that women's hockey continues to be treated as an afterthought. I think they kind of got embroiled in a lot of Canadian politics there as well, didn't they, really? But embarrassing to know that the men's um, world champs is set to continue in Latvia uh, what, in, imminently within the next couple of weeks. It is embarrassing. And I haven't really watched a lot of women's world hockey championships, but it's been on my radar a little bit more in recent months because of better press coverage, I think, because of people like Cassie and Jen, who were on Hockey Night in Canada, who I actually really respect them just as like commentators and as uh, you know, panel members. I actually think they have a lot to bring to those hockey shows, regardless whether they're a woman. Um, and, and I was like, really, actually, that's shocking. That shouldn't be allowed, even as someone who doesn't watch World Hockey Champs. I mean, I just, I think if it, it, they're right, you know, as Hillary Knight said, the, the fact that it's an afterthought, if it was men's hockey, it would be seen as ridiculous, particularly as the Olympics in Beijing are less than a year away. Yeah, well said. And it is very disappointing when you think, would it would that happen to the men's league? And the answer probably is no. Yeah. Well, with that, that's quite a lot to round up. I mean, you mentioned the parking ticket there. I'm currently appealing um, a parking <laughs> ticket. Uh, so I'm just going to go and check that to make sure that they haven't rejected me. Um, it's a little less than $66, fortunately. Um, but still, 
that seems like a good place to kind of leave things. I mean, so much to go on. And next week, maybe we'll start to see who have got those final spaces. And we can start to think what on earth we're going to... I mean, the playoff bracket thing opens on Monday. For oh, the, uh, yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, More predictions Don't to follow. Don't need that stress in my life. And maybe next week we'll have a weeping or a oh, yeah. whooping... Matt Day back with us, yeah. uh, you know, giving the final say on what happened with Dallas Stars in the next few days. I mean, it's a funny old game, this sport. Uh, you know, you can go from pantomime villains flexing their muscles in the penalty box to um, Tyler Sagan naked on a Zamboni. I mean, we've covered it all on this podcast. I'm not quite sure how else we can top it. That's uh, that's silence from Joe Lump. We'll play some music and uh. I'll just say bye. Bye.